You're raised as an athlete to fight back. So why all of a sudden, when you retire, do you stop the good fight? This is Finding Center with Nick Hardwick. Hey gang, it's Nick. Thank you for being with us today. We greatly appreciate your time. However you're listening, wherever you're listening, we thank you. Our guest today is Brian McKenzie. Follow him on Instagram at underscore Brian McKenzie. That's M-A-C-K-E-N-Z-I-E. Brian is a human performance expert, educator, author, and public speaker. Brian is a coach with more than two decades experience of innovating new protocols for training Olympians, professional athletes, entrepreneurs, and high performers in numerous realms on the use of mechanical and breathing tools to achieve maximum output in training, competition, and recovery. He's the founder of CrossFit Endurance. He is the author of the New York Times bestseller, Unbreakable Runner. You can get that book on Amazon. He's also the founder of The Art of Breath, a division of power, speed, endurance. Find out more about both of those on Instagram at Power Speed Endurance. Also, he has a nonprofit organization called Health and Human Performance Foundation. Learn about that at hhp-foundation.org. By the way, if you're in the L.A. area, this coming Saturday, November 2nd at CrossFit L.A., or if you want to live stream it and you're not in the area, not available, Brian is running an event through the Health and Human Performance Foundation to teach us how to lean into stress with breath work and other innate tools. You're going to hear a little bit about that on the podcast. If you want more, go check that out. I will tell you what, I can listen to Brian talk and teach all day long. It's motivating. It's educational. I've already listened back to this podcast multiple times, and I've incorporated some of what I learned here, and I have found it beneficial in dealing with stress and adding stamina into my everyday life and performance at the gym, as well as just getting better sleep. In this podcast, Brian teaches us how we can achieve the bodies, the performance, and the mental health that we want through a fundamental element of life, our breath. I know you're going to enjoy this podcast. Here we go. Joining us now on the Finding Center podcast, it's Brian McKenzie. Brian, thank you so much for the time. How are you today? I'm good, Nick. Thanks for having me, brother. Yeah, thank you, thank you, thank you. All right, let's dive right into this. A big part of your work Uh relates to the essential element of human life, breathing. It's one of those things that seems like we shouldn't be able to mess this up. But I think the research, the science, and the data are now starting to tell us a different story. When did you realize that breathing, and specifically the way that we are breathing, is a problem? Uh, When I, oddly enough, I mean, I'll I'll just tell the truth, um, (laughs) is it's usually the easiest way. I I balk, meaning I laughed at a training mask when a buddy of mine handed one to me (laughs) i did too and um you know i I, i've done enough personal work especially even at that time which was like six or seven years ago i think at this point to to to, you know after a few few seconds to to be able to say to myself okay i'm laughing at something that i've never used based on something i'm reading and that's literally a, a definition of of ignorance and so I put the uh, training mask on 
and I instantly changed how I was sitting when I had, when I, when I put that training mask on in order to expand or engage my diaphragm more. And that was a natural movement when you changed your sitting position. Yeah. Yes. I mean, it was just, I, 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 I made a slight change. And in doing that, that slight change triggered an immediate response in my brain based on the fact that like I've taught movement for quite some time. So understanding any sort of a change to something based on doing something is something to be recognized, right? Like, what is that? I instantly knew what that was um, and explored that some more um, and continued to play with that and played around with the training mask for a couple of years um, until, you know, it really dawned on me that, you know, we've actually got our own resistance breathing device on our face and that's called your nose. Um, (laughs) And uh, in exploring a lot of that, yeah, I, I, I mean, I should preface all this with the fact that I had a pretty extensive yoga practice at one point, um, many, many years ago, like almost 20 years ago. And, um, although I didn't pay attention necessarily to the importance around the breath work and the practice, it was integrated into it. And so a lot of these ideas and things started literally just like these connections or, or old memories or things that were there became very relevant in understanding. And so I started to connect some dots with things and start to understand things at that point. Um, and that really changed how we started looking at stuff um, with breathing and how it can affect an athlete. Um, and by and large, it changed every, just about every single athlete we were working with and what they were doing. So you start at the top, of course, with the high performance and you can kind of figure out how much the performance is actually affected. And then when it relates to regular humans, kind of general, general population folks, how did we mess this whole thing up? I mean, it seems like the one thing coming out of the womb that you get right and all of a sudden we've messed it up. How did, how did it all happen? Well, I think that's a good question, (laughs) but, and I don't know that I have the answers, but I do know that based on what I've observed in nature, that if we were still out there in a part of nature, we wouldn't have this problem. Um, But we'd also be dealing with a lot more like, you know, uh, fending off apex predators, um, uh, weather, um, you name it, whatever goes on out in the wild, that's what you're going to be dealing with. Right. So yes. if you go look at any animal that's in the wild, you don't need to wor- you don't need to worry about the breathing patterns. They naturally default into exactly what they need to be doing and they pay attention enough to transitioning and what happens with inside their world of survival that they don't harbor or hold on to things. Now, they also don't have a developed frontal cortex like we do. Um, so it largely just becomes response and they respond to the environment and what's going on. So that being said, that's part one. Part two is, I think it's called the coddling of the uh, mind. And it starts with parenting 101 in the beginning. 
and what we start doing with our children. You know, as we've progressed as a society, how we've literally coddled ourselves into uh, some of the worst shit that we've ever seen. In, in terms of you see anxiety, uh, mental disorders, um, immune response, autoimmune responses. Um, I'm not suggesting that outliers and things like this um, aren't possibilities and, and are very much possibilities. But the fact of the matter is, is that percentages and, and the way things have gone up is not reality. And we have a very mixed idea. It, like we have a very uh, we're very confused as to what's going on. And it's through our own behavior and how we're molding our own children and ourselves that we're defaulting here. And that is a very long answer to or a very detailed answer to something that I believe shows up in. I believe and, I, you know, look, I'm not the first one to bring this up. This is this was brought up 5000 years ago. Right. That breathing your breath is the way you control energy. And thus, whether you're doing it physically or it's happening mentally or cognitively, you are responding to that through your breath. And the inability to be conscious or aware of that doesn't allow you to understand that very well. When you do become conscious of it and you start to control it and play with it, you become more aware of it and you start to see the patterns and what happens and how you're doing and how you're breathing and when your breathing speeds up and when it slows down and when you hold it. So it all comes down to all of this. And this is where a self-regulatory system in nature would have been very easy to deal with. Um, but, and that's what animals by and large do, but we are no longer in nature. Therefore we have looked to optimization and that is what breath control is. And so this is really interesting. When you talk about the coddling of the mind, essentially you're talking about as humans, we've gotten softer raising our kids. Oh, yeah. We've gotten softer on them. We're not asking as much of them. We're protecting them from everything. We're keeping them away from certain dangers and risk. And I hear the words all the time, be careful, which to me uh -huh. just is like nails on a chalkboard. I'm like, be careful. No, 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 no. Be mindful, be mindful, be aware, not be careful uh -huh. on everything we're doing. Cause be careful is such a negative connotation. So I think that's a great point as far as the coddling and we've gotten softer in this. Now, let me get back to this a little bit because you mentioned we've got a built-in training mask and it's our nose and I laughed about it, but I had this kind of recent awakening as far as nose breathing and mouth breathing goes. I got some buddies and we all give each other a bunch of crap for being mouth breathers, mm -hmm. but I, I was getting a massage at the house the other day and my wife was getting a massage at the same time in another room, and I realized when the masseuse put me on my back, and I just immediately fell asleep, and then like 30 minutes later, I come to, and my wife's looking at me, and the masseuse is looking at me, and they're like, how did you not wake yourself up? Do you realize how loud you're snoring? And I'm like, ooh, light bulb. I've got a problem. So mm. I, I looked into it a little bit, and I've been hearing and reading a lot about the importance of nasal breathing. Like mm -hmm. phys physiologically, what's the difference between nasal breathing and then breathing through the mouth? Yes, good question. Um, your nose is designed to filter and bring in all air that enters your lungs. And by that, you have, by that I mean this, anatomically and biologically, how this thing works is it A, filters the air, you've got hair, 
You've got mucus, which then is another byproduct of filtering and picking up more particles and dirt. It also produces T cells. So these are immune these are immune cells, okay, that help in the production of proper development of the immune system. Then your then the air enters the sinuses where it is humidified, spun up, and then brought in and down through the trachea into the actual um, lungs, where because I don't have a large opening, I have to engage my diaphragm more. I also am triggering more of a parasympathetic response, especially when I exhale, which contrary to popular belief and ideas even talked in the yoga world is the exhale is not a parasympathetic response. The exhale is nothing more than a, than a, than a suppression of sympathetic response. But you're only going to get that through the nose, okay? So that air that's brought in is actually brought in through funnels that are small versus large, okay? The air that you're pulling in through the nose versus the mouth, the varying degree at rest of the absorption of that air from what we've seen is it, that actually leans towards the nose, because you're actually producing a gas called nitric oxide when you breathe through your nose that actually helps absorb oxygen. Yes. And it, help, and it also helps you uh, dilate some things, right? So it's kind of like rocket boosters to a large degree. Nonetheless, that's at rest. Now, if you're working, that kind of changes, okay? Because it, at a certain point when we're working, especially, you know, like as a football player, like it, you're, you're high intense situations, 15 seconds, right, or less. And – it's like the, the inevitability of that, especially being the size that you are, is going to be an offload of carbon dioxide, which is going to elicit a response of you opening your mouth. Now, the exhale, that's where nitric, nitric oxide is produced, but it also helps the inhibition of sympathetic response through the nose. On the mouth, it does not. So when I open my mouth and I exhale, I actually, this is where the big problem is, not necessarily the inhale. Although the inhale, I think I made a salient point in the fact that you're filtering all the air versus you cannot filter anything through your mouth. There is no such filter system or anything that's happening with the air. You're just it's taking just, it in. You're just taking in as much air as you can, which doesn't even mean that you're actually absorbing it more. Okay. Especially when you get, when you get efficient at this. Okay. And we'll get, we can get into that after this. Okay. The exhale is where when I open my mouth, I offload an exorbitant amount of carbon dioxide very quickly. This is also known as a stress response. Okay. So if I don't control that exhale, if I, if I control the exhale by bringing it out of my nose, I slow down how much CO2 can go out. Therefore, forcing my blood to actually handle a little bit more carbon dioxide. And this is important because no oxygen molecule comes off of a red blood cell unless it's replaced by a carbon dioxide molecule, an acid. So think is think of oxygen and uh, carbon dioxide as the yin and yang of your pH. Okay. okay? This, is, this is how our chem chemistry works, right? So how we balance, balance potential hydrogen, pH. You want to have a, a, a system that is roughly 7.4 on the pH scale, right? And 
when you have the proper amount of carbon dioxide in the blood, you're kicking off oxygen molecules of the red blood cell and you're using them. When you don't have enough carbon dioxide present, you don't kick off all those molecules. You only kick off some because only some carbon dioxide molecules are there. So you then are not using as much of the oxygen as possible. This then defaults into whether or not what sort of energy system you start to use more. So if I don't have enough oxygen present in my system, even at rest, because I'm blowing off CO2 inadvertently because I'm stressed or whatever's going on. Too many exhales. Too, or you're or too large of exhales. Mouth, if you're exhaling out of your mouth unnecessarily, you are burning through more sugar and more glycogen than you need to be. Gotcha. So then when it comes to actual energy expenditure, you're going to have less to pull from. So now you burn, you know, anaerobically, we know you burn uh, two ATP, I believe, for uh, every <laughs> molecule. And yeah. then on the aerobic front, you've got 32 for uh, on, on the aerobic side. You, you do the math. What's efficient, what's not, right? Yeah. And so this is why training is such an interesting thing, especially in human performance, you know, is that we have long touted anaerobic training and anaerobic training is kind of a myth. It doesn't really exist. Oh yeah. Tell, tell me about training, that. Yeah. High intensity training exists, but it's how, how, how intense can you actually make it while still using your aerobic systems? And, and, and that this doesn't mean that you're not going to push things to where you're no longer, you know, you're just strictly anaerobic. No, on the contrary. It's how quickly you can get back to using oxygen efficiently or using oxygen in, at the highest, most intense place possible, right? So the first thing to go once you're maxed is the ability to actually make better decisions or uh, should I say creativity. So in these super high stress situations where you're maxing out, you're not going to be making good decisions. You're no longer, you know, you've only got limited time until you've swung the arm so hard into this anaerobic place that you're going to need to pull back in order to maintain technical form movement. You know, I, you know, this is where movement comes in, right? Like the better I move, the better access I actually have towards more air. Because we're talking about efficiency. Yeah. You got it. You got it. So this is where that diaphragm and the training mass came in. Right. And then it was like, Oh, now I use my nose oh, no wonder why I can't use my nose when I'm in this shitty position because I don't actually, I can't actually pull air in because my diaphragm is compromised because my spine's out of position slightly. Yeah, that totally so makes it, sense. It just trickles all down. And so this becomes something where, and I'm not suggesting, trust me, like people think that we're, we're like, everything's about nose breathing. It is not. Just about 80% of your you know training in a day should be that. Right. So I, I'm having a conversation with you. I'm going to be talking. I'm going to be offloading an exorbitant amount of carbon dioxide, which means I'm leaning more in towards burning more sugar, which, you know, it's not that it's a bad thing. It's just a thing. So what do I do as a result of that? Well, when I'm not talking, I can shut my mouth and I can calm down. When I finish this, I can actually calm myself down more as well. I mean, if I talk for a long time, why do you think you're exhausted when you do that? It's not just talking. 
you're it's energy it's movement of energy and this is what this is all about is movement of energy and energy the only way we actually you like if, if you don't breathe you will die pretty quickly right <laughs> that's the fact if, yes if, if if you don't eat you've got roughly 30 to 40 something days before you die wow yeah so this whole concept around nutrition i get and i've played a part in it but in quality of food matters, but to lean into one paradigm in the nutrition industry versus the other is actually a fool's game because it's literally about energy and how you're using it. Now, shitty energy comes from shitty food. It's harder to metabolize. It's worse on the system. Make sense of it. That doesn't mean I should just strictly be, um, you know, we'll just take the vegan world. Like, I'm all for, like, I eat plant-based mostly, right? But that's just because of the quality of food that I've got around me. Does that mean that's all I should be getting? Absolutely not. That's not, that's not how this works. Although you could manipulate it in that way. And by all means, being a vegan, I get, I'm for, you go do it. All of that. Same thing goes for paleo. It just becomes this idea that, oh, this is what changed me. No, that's not how you're using your, your, your use of energy is dictated by how you use oxygen strictly. That was a deal that was made 500 million years ago. Yeah. So in all your work coming back through the performance, through the nutrition, and now you're down to essentially kind of the primal element and you yep. say, and, and in your opinion, and probably rightfully so, this is where we should begin kind of if we're on a health journey, if you're into fitness, if you're into performance, if you don't have this straightened out, because as you were talking about when you're, when you're talking about working through the energy, the first things that go is your decisions and specifically your creativity. And you can see that, especially like at the end of games, fourth quarters, ninth innings, you've got these games that kind of come to an apex and sports are the microcosm of life. It's like, why did he make that really poor decision in the fourth quarter when leading up until that? Yeah, the pressure was it. the pressure was different, but the energy system's different as well. You got it. Or if I've got a lineman who's on the sideline or whoever, which is typically a lineman, who's on supplemental oxygen on the sideline, we don't have an oxygen problem. We have a carbon dioxide problem. Isn't you have that a very something? large, you have a very large individual who has a massive carbon imprint, meaning all that tissue requires an absolute metric ton of oxygen. So how am I training that individual? Explosive work all the time that, you know, just lets him, you know, do whatever he wants to do versus no, shut your mouth. We're, you're still going to do explosive work, except maybe I'll let you breathe however you want when we're working, but then I control your breathing when you're trying to recover. And then the guy starts freaking out. And it's like, well, yeah, you're freaking out because your CO2 tolerance is on the floor because your response to carbon dioxide at a 120 heart rate is so poor that you have to open your mouth. So you're actually anaerobic, more anaerobic at a 120 heart rate than you need to be. Yeah, because at that threshold, there's no way you should be really anaerobic. Because anaerobic, no. you're talking about 80% almost of max Brother, heart rate is where it. you should be. You so. got it. So you got it. So when I've got big Nick Hardwig on, 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 a, on a table upside down on his back snoring with his mouth open <laughs> and his wife going, Jesus Christ, 
<laughs> right? It's, hey, what can we do? How can we help get him or optimize this? And this is where, A, either a breath practice comes in. Like, look, man, this is the foundation of everything. I don't care if you're working out or you want to just be live longer, right? Or healthier or more qualitatively. If you don't pay attention like this, if, if you're doing anything beyond that triggers different breathing patterns and not paying attention to breathing patterns, you've missed that. You've missed the boat. So where do I start with a breathing practice? It, simple. I mean, like you could, like, this is why we actually develop, develop this state app, which is on, um, the, all the app stores and he state we, we got i got involved with dr andrew huberman who's brilliant at um stanford medicine oh yeah we had him on the podcast a couple of weeks ago he is brilliant yes he's a good he's a good good guy he's a good friend um and he and i met like three three and a half years ago and we hit it off and became good friends and but we he came to me originally because he asked if i could develop protocols specifically for people who deal with high anxiety at, uh, at, in, in a study on fear. And they were testing people in a VR study um, at, at Stanford. And so I looked at what they were screening people and how they were looking at how high, you know, people were responding or how they were anxious. Right. And so we took that because the, a lot of the work I did at the time and was doing at the time was I was running around giving people fingerprints of breathing protocols to do in order to optimize themselves. So whether you wanted to wake up in the morning, whether you wanted to calm down, whatever, whether you want to go to bed, I give people specific rhythms. The interesting thing about that is, is I had to do that manually because I would walk people through several different protocols to get them the right ones because not everybody responds to the same protocols the same way. And this is where we started to see problems with inside the, especially breath space, is that. People took things like pranayama, which is in yoga, which is, you know, breath control or energy control, and they blanket things and think everybody responds to things in the, in the same way. So we're all just going to do something, right? And it's like, it's like Wim Hof method. Like Wim Hof method is great. It's fantastic. Not everybody gets the same response off of it. Everybody gets, there's varying responses to this based on your physiology and what's going on and what you understand about that. And so we took that and developed that into the app. And so the app got created by creating a fingerprint on how you emotionally handle stress and how you physiologically handle stress, which is carbon dioxide. There's a direct relationship with carbon dioxide and all stress. So your trigger to breathe, your brain stem has a, its breathing center set up in it. And it's component for taking a breath when you're not controlling it or conscious of it is co2 so if i have more cognitive load or i'm more stressed emotionally cognitively i diminish my ability to handle co2 therefore my breathing rate will pick up if i'm physically stressed my breathing rate goes up because i'm metabolically expressing these things right and so then my breathing follows that because co2 goes up so whether i close down on my brain's capacity to understand to, to to take on more stress right it's like going and working out when you're super super stressed out right and you pr you don't have the same workout that you would have had yeah, you just don't have it in not. you yeah no you can't you cannot it's an impossibility energy's energy man 
and and we we think that there's just all this different stuff and it's all just about energy and how we're moving energy and when we don't move it appropriately we actually start to inefficiently use the one most important molecule we've got which is oxygen so I used to I used to notice this when I was playing in the locker room before a game, and then I noticed it last night as I was getting ready to watch the World Series, and the guys were on the field pregame. I yawned all the time pregame, but I was super nervous, really anxious about the whole thing. And then last night I turned it on, and Jose Altuve's out yawning, Justin Verlander's yawning. They're not putting any energy out; they're just standing around talking to one another. And I think folks out there watching on TV are like, "How are they?" tired how are they sleepy i mean they're getting ready to go into one of the biggest contests of their lives what is that with the yawn is that all about the co2 uh i would say that's a twofold thing it could be a i mean how many guys sleep before the first game of a major like major game right (laughs) true I know before events I did that were major events, I did not sleep real well. So there's a, there's a very good possibility. Yes, they are tired. More importantly, what I think it is, is because they're such highly tuned, trained machines, you've actually gotten it to a point to where you can handle such a high stress of a situation like that, that you play it off as though it's just another day. <laughs> and thus I can be as relaxed as possible. And so the trigger for I'm tired goes off and yawning is contagious. Oh, it is. Yeah. I mean, it, it actually is. So the science is telling yes. you that yawning is contagious. No kidding. Oh, yeah, I, we, you, you, we've heard you, that a million times, but I didn't know it was actually true. Yeah, man. I mean, you just start yawning and people will yawn. You watch people yawn, you'll yawn. Isn't that hilarious? All right, so so you talked about Andrew Huberman, anxiety, fear, and I want to get to this because we all do have stressful lives, work, kids, exercise, work some more. Somehow we're supposed to sleep eight hours. I'm I'm not alone in this, I know, and at times it can feel overwhelming. Where can we begin reclaiming the sense of control on the stress that we all feel? Uh, First first thing is getting outside in the nature more. Um, That's just... It is what it is staying, getting like, if you're inside all day, you're, you're, you're asking for trouble. Um, you have got to get outside. This is why I'm like, you know, like the whole idea of kids in school is such a bad idea. Um, especially when they start to remove PE programs, et cetera. Oh, it's the worst, Um, you know, and it's like more screen time in front of screens. The more you're in front of screens, you're going to, you know, you're, you're, you're setting yourself up for this desensitization. Like you're in a high focus state. So you need to actually get out of those high focus states pretty, you know, pretty often, pretty frequently. So getting outsides first, the second is any sort of training that you're doing is you should be playing to the reality of how well you use oxygen. So shutting your mouth 80% of the time, if not all the time for the first three or four weeks of any and all training you're doing should be at the forefront of what you want to do. That in that automatic your physiology and your response to CO2 that's working CO2 tolerance. That is how efficiently you're actually using oxygen when you are working. 80% of the time you say, Oh yeah. 80% of the time. Yes. When, when like say 
if I'm running on a treadmill or I'm running outside and at some point it's like uh, it's breathing through the nose isn't getting it done, what what happens then if I open my mouth? Is it reset everything? Does it throw it off? What what can I expect there? Uh, ju- no, it just changes how you're using energy. I understand. You're ju- you're literally now literally we like we've done this. We've done this experiment several times on metabolic devices. Open your mouth, working or hardly working, and it'll change how you're actually using oxygen. If I have less oxygen available, my body defaults towards using more of its anaerobic processes instantaneously. That's just how it works. No kidding. Then my need for oxygen goes up because not only am I still trying to use oxygen molecules, but those oxygen molecules are, are now being dedicated to anaerobic processes like hydrogen ions, et cetera, in order to buffer the more acidic environment. So kind of hold off as long as you can. It's not even hold off as long as you can walk. What's the fucking point? <laughs> like, what, what are you? So, so here's the question that we ask people and, and by and large where, where we're at, it, it, it's, it's tough because it's something I've witnessed my entire career, but people don't actually know what they want. And so when we ask people, Hey, what do you want? Well, I I'm, I'm here to train. Okay. Well, so what are you trying to get out of that? And when they explain that, we then look at the physiological reactions of what that is and talk about it. And then we show what's happening based on what they're doing in training, which is by and large, most people are just getting rid of CO2 aren't actually training the mechanisms in place in order to make them more efficient at burning fat to make them leaner or whatever they want. Like, I don't even care about the leaner thing. That's just a byproduct of actually doing the work. Right. So it, it, like all of these things that people go and try like to stress to actually burn fat or be leaner or look good naked or, you know, like I want to be calmer. I want to be able to handle more stress, you know, all this stuff great here let me show you what's happening as 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 you're doing it right now so what you want you're not getting you're actually confusing you so we're highly confused as to how we're actually training things and i was as as confused as anybody by doing the things i was doing now you can put on more muscle you can lean out you can do these things but but what you're doing is you're reinforcing patterns that actually default into higher stress situations and not, and not giving yourself the ability to manage stress real well. So when you sleep at night, you snore or you get sleep apnea or things happen that are disturbing the way you sleep, which is how you're going to recover from what you did that day. So if I want to maintain lean mass and burn some fat off, what, what would your approach be? shut your mouth to start <laughs> you want to use oxygen oxygen like literally the more oxygen you make available the more fat you're using for the tissue right so you, so your brain and nervous system need glucose at all times they will get that through aerobic processes or anaerobic right and so there's a default you know the the, the system has roughly 2000 kcals of, of glycogen in storage on the body at all times right well it, 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 when not used up right yes so if i'm working out and and just burning through all this sugar and glucose right 
my brain and nervous system still need that stuff. So it'll start to change as a result of that based on that stuff. But it's, re it's really getting back to, hey, let me leave this stuff as much as I can for when I need to do really high explosive work or big, big work loads or high stress work and my brain and nervous system. And then the other stuff I'm going to, the other time I'm going to start to use oxygen. There isn't an athlete out there in a sport that exists that can't benefit from this. Like if I've got a lineman or I've got a boxer or I've got a crossfitter, or I've got an endurance athlete, they all need to be highly efficient in how they use oxygen. So when you start watching, if you're watching MMA, if you're watching boxing, I don't know if you're into those at all. And yep. I immediately do this. When a guy starts mouth breathing, you're like, he's done. He's yes. done because his energy system is kind of reaching its threshold and he's starting to gasp for air a little bit. And that mouth opens, that's a great indicator that this dude's about finished off. That is a known fact in the fighting community. The moment the guy's jaw is open, that, that is when you take him apart. To get oh, it yeah. to get in there, that's a, a visual indicator. Yeah. It's like his mouth's open. Okay, he's he's they're gassing. Done. They're yeah. he, he he's not going to make good decisions. Like, look, he will not make good decisions, or she will not make good decisions. Gassed. Gotcha. It's an impossibility. So take advantage of that situation. It, it, like, look at it. You know, th that's the energy. Is the energy is the energy is so maxed that they can no longer make good decisions motor control starts to go so i no longer have all of these reinforced things that i've cultivated and worked on is this why when i'm watching some of the best quarterbacks of my time come through the peyton mannings the tom brady's when they get to the sidelines you don't see them talking a lot they just kind of sit down it. they sit down and they it's shut down and peyton used to even close his eyes he would look it's at the he would man. look at the pictures and then he would close his eyes because he's not going to burn intuitive. through. There you go. It's 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 not. I mean, it's you take the best the best players in any sport. You take the best CEOs and executives. You take the best military operators. So you take your your dev group. You take your guys. Um, you take um, you know the best in any world. And you will see an intuitive process that people actually start to now, not all of them, but for the most part, a lot of these people have followed an innate path because they've become gotten so good at, it and they've understood how to feel. Like I feel if I don't actually just calm down right now, I'm not going to process what needs to be processed and stay in that zone or that place I need to be. That's really interesting. So I've seen before you post about using breath work and other innate skills that we should have mm -hmm. to actually use stress to improve our lives. And yes, this seems counterintuitive. I can see where you're going with it. Take me through that. Yeah. So stress isn't going anywhere. And, and by and large, we don't have more stressful lives. We, we just know nobody does. People are just doing more shit. So they're doing a bunch of different or more or a lot of stuff all day. They're not actually stressing themselves out. The stress is coming from an internal problem, meaning I don't understand the physiology and what's going on. And so we, you know, between Huberman's work and mine, um, we know this. There are, you, you only have two ways of actually controlling 
autonomic arousal. So sympathetic, parasympathetic. That is either through breathing or visual cueing, right? So I started with by saying nature is like, the, like get outside more and do that. You've just triggered how your visual system is seeing things right now. Now you're going more peripheral, right? So you're gazing more. So you're downshifting things, right? Like who freaks out looking at a sunset? <laughs> Not many people unless they're playing Pokemon down by sunset right, right? cliffs over here. Right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. So th- there's a reason for that. And it's not just because it's beautiful. It's, it's actually just, it, it's a mathematical equation that your brain understands. It also understands the light in the morning and the evening and throughout the day, anywhere in the world, which makes Huberman's work super important for people to understand. Because if I travel or I go somewhere, especially if I'm a football player, and I'm on the fucking road and I want to be dialed in at the speed dialed in, I had better get that morning light and that evening light so that my circadian rhythm starts to adjust itself faster. Right. Breathing is the other way to do this. And so if I control my breathing in those situations to optimize my use of oxygen and to fight back up some of the stress, we know that controlled breathing, like there's no amount of research I could do, but controlled breathing calms the brain. It's already been done. So slowing down and controlling your breathing to to the degree that you feel yourself calm down is critical. But this is where training comes in as well as it's like, look, take part in your training but take part of the foundation and and learn to control your breathing when you're training so that you're actually getting the responses and the things you want to get out of that training and this this in turn allows you to hey i i like i stopped mouth breathing after four weeks of dedicated nose only breathing four weeks and i i i wake up if my mouth opens when i'm sleeping weird that i wake up when my mouth opens when I'm sleeping. No, it's not weird because it's a stress response. So I get stressed when my mouth opens. I feel that change enough to, in order to wake me up, right? So it's really understanding these paths of, hey, just because I'm at work and I don't like my job or you know I had a shitty day at work doesn't mean I can't handle stress. It's how much I didn't actually transition in the process of that day. Like if I just stayed in the play the whole time, like think about a play, you know, the ball being you hiking a ball, but that play going on for an hour. (laughs) The the ultimate fumble ruski. But boom, like everybody just all you guys would end up stopping. Right. And just be like, I'm done. I'm cooked. You couldn't do it. Nobody's trained. Nobody's trained for that. Right. Yet we go in and about our days as if we can actually just go full throttle all day long without transitioning or coming down. Use the opportunities you get when you get into your car, people leave your office, that you you maybe go to the restroom or whatever when you sit down to eat to like actually control your breathing or get outside and change your visual system, right? And if you can't get outside, just learn to look at the far end of a room so you can go peripheral, right? So you can start to actually transition, come down, then move into the next process. This, this allows for an, in, an, an infinite amount of transitioning that is totally natural. And that by the end of the day, you should feel and be like, I'm going to bed when the sun goes down. And you can completely handle all the stress through the day. You could get just as much, if 100%. not more work done. 
I can do work. I can work out. I can get in a cold plunge. I can get in the sauna. I can go to jujitsu. I can go you're like, look, I, I like it just more is not better. More becomes a byproduct of better. So when I understand the foundations of how to actually operate this thing, my breathing is the first thing to respond to stress, right? That I'm, that I'm going to catch. Yes. Everything else is too fast. And you right? say that took you four weeks to train the brain to understand when you were going to mouth breathing and saying, okay, I might be in a stress situation yep. here. I never wanted to go back to low level mouth breathing when I was training. So after I did that, because there was no purpose to it. So what are some of the, the tools you use to lean into the stress a little bit? You mentioned there like heat, heat therapy, cold plunge, jujitsu. What else are you into? Uh, mountain biking trails, you know, hiking or running, running. I mean, my dogs, <laughs> um, <laughs> like it, 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 it kind of goes on and on and on. Um, it, but it's it, it, like, what do you enjoy doing and, and what can you do? And like, I love the feeling of getting out of a cold plunge, but let's make, let's be real clear. That's a stressor. It's more stress. Yes. But it turns out that we can use other stressors in order to enhance other ones. So if I can trick my body from a cold plunge into dropping out and becoming parasympathetic, that's a win. If now, I can go into the heat and I can change some physiological reactions that help build heat shock proteins, things like that, aerobic training, like this is a part of what this stuff all correlates to. So Going for, I, I think the biggest problem, the biggest mis, missed idea with everybody is actually just going for a walk. Oh, it's the like best. Most, peop, most people are so fixated on the extreme that they miss the most important thing of just go for a walk. You were designed to walk for very, very long distances. And do that with your mouth closed, of course. Do that. Yeah, uh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, unless you got to be on a phone call or you're talking with your wife or whoever, but <laughs> like, other than that, like, I mean, I go on a walk, I, I've already done it once today. I'll probably do it two or three times today with the dogs. Um, you know, and it's just go out for a couple miles and come back and it changes everything. Yeah, it does. You got a good sense, a new perspective. Everything kind of seems at ease. I tell you, I feel a lot of stress in my low back. And then mm -hmm. if I feel that, then I say, okay, I need to go on a walk. And then when I come back, usually that low back pain is gone. Hip flexors, baby. It is a, a lot about the hip flexors. I tell so yeah. many people, I'm like, don't stretch your hamstrings. Just stretch your hip flexors. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, it literally, I mean, we just, we sit so much that we forget. So, I, I mean, I, I try to lay down on the floor enforce myself when i'm on the computer and stuff my buddy does this with his kids they can they can do screen time if they want but they have to be laying on the floor and I like that. that's when they can do it yep they can't sit down i like that we don't have screens yeah. yet at the house i got a seven going on eight year old and a five going on six year old so the only time oh, they fair. the only time they get screens is on a long flight somewhere back to toronto or hawaii or something like that so no, that's fantastic man no screens yet they'll, they're so intuitive i mean they'll learn those things when they need to learn them i just feel like there's they, no yep. rush for the technology it's it's so no, easy man. to and use and, and 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 the parts of their brain that are developing are the important ones without that shit that's the thing 
Yes, and then I'm also reading a, a really good book called Spark. It's John Radius's name. Actually, Huberman mm-hmm. recommended this one. He's a Harvard MD about exercise and making the brain stronger and getting smarter and dealing with anxiety and depression and all that. So fantastic recommendation by him. So I want to get into fear a little bit with you because you and a mutual buddy mm-hmm. of ours, former Navy SEAL, co-founder of Made For, his name's Pat Dossett. He's pushed me in the yes. right direction so many times. Told me a little while back that you two and I think some researchers, I don't know if Huberman was part of this, went diving yes, with great he, yeah, whites. Yeah, Huberman was. Like you went, yeah, went diving with great whites, like not in a cage, but you actually dove like in the water with great whites. So like I get nervous just saying that. What was totally. that? What was that experience like? What'd you learn? What were you researching? What What was going on? That was well. That that was actually for the the fear study. Uh, at Stanford that Huberman was doing. So we were, they were getting VR footage of great white sharks swimming with them so that people, when they're in the VR, were literally swimming with the sharks. Um, we got three tags. And just to be totally clear, I think Pat Dossett was probably the only person <laughs> that, like, was qualified other than the divers to probably go out and do that. Right. Um, I... I had just gotten certified diving for that trip because <laughs> I had the opportunity to get a tag to get out of the cage. And I was just like, there's no way I'm not taking this experience. So there's a specific tag associated with actually swimming with the whites. Oh yeah. yeah, yeah. You cannot. Yeah. In fact, I don't even think they're giving out tags anymore. Like they don't do it because uh, that ocean Ramsey gal kind of screwed it up for everybody out there. Oh. Um, she decided to go and dive with the sharks regardless of any tags. And uh, you know, that, that inevitably had consequences, but we were, we, before they started canceling that stuff, we, we got, one of the last trips that we were able to get out and do that. Um, you know, and, uh, it was, um, I mean, it's obviously an experience I'm never going to forget. Um, it was, uh, it it was like getting, it was like being in front of a dinosaur, you know, if you could imagine (laughs) that, like, just like, Oh shit. Like this is, this could end in a split second if it just, if it, if it chooses to. I mean, if you've ever been a, around a, a big apex predator, like a lion, you know, a tiger or whatever, like even seen him in a, like, as a zoo, you, you quickly realize how um, you, you just don't have any power in, in the situation. It's li- purely like, you know, fortune comes into the, into the space. Like if they're going to come at you, it's over that that quickly you know and and you kind of you you realize that but you know you've seen the divers who've been out there for a couple days doing this stuff and then they go over you know how to actually do this and and it's pretty simple but if fear is kind of if you let fear overtake you you can't you're not going to be diving you're not and even if you do get out of the cage, it's probably not the best idea because then the shark will sense it. And that's the thing is a predator senses how prey behaves. Ooh. And so if I'm freaking out, that, 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 that shark understands that. Right. So, I mean, I've, I've, I've dove with sharks before, but, um, in Hawaii and was with, it was just with Galapagos sharks and a few other white, you know, like white tips, things like that. Um, 
and and it was with like 40 or 50 of them, but they're pretty harmless, but their energy changes when your energy changes, they pick up instantaneously and they, and they have mechanisms for that, that they do. And so when somebody in the group kind of starts getting a little scared, the energy of the shark changes, it becomes erratic and they start to think, Oh, pray. You know, like, Oh, maybe I should go for this thing. And then the guy who's guiding the trip is like, Hey, who's freaking out? You know, and he knows because somebody's freaking out because the sharks are behaving poorly. Right. So you can't behave like prey. What does prey do with sharks? They run or they freeze. So you actually have to be there and be present and be moving around a little bit and watching the sharks. And it's not just one shark. It was, you know, multiple sharks. So you had to be able to see a shark in front of you. You had to be understand there were sharks below you, above you, behind you. Um, <laughs> How many are we talking? I think there were four, three or four when I got out. I think there might have been a couple with Pat. And then I think Huberman actually got like five or six. Oh, jeez. Are yeah. we are we talking about some big boys and girls here? How many oh, oh, feet are oh, they? Yeah, I mean, I we I think the biggest one we saw was something like fifteen to seventeen feet. Um, you know, they, 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 it was like a car. So I mean, it was they were literally like cars. And, and there's no other shark or, or life out there other than tiny little fish because um, you know the great white great white rule unless there's an orca around of course so it was just it was a very surreal experience that allowed me to understand fear at a level that you know you just have to like let go and be like okay i'm i'm in this and i accept the fact that i may not be in this in a second but if i behave well I can get this experience. And so I just controlled my breathing in the scuba. And although you're on scuba and your mouth breathing. Yeah, that's what I was going to ask. How, how, <laughs> what'd you do there? Well, you, you don't, you don't, I mean, you don't move your breath real fast when you're scuba diving. You know, that's a known thing. So to you're, not you chew up still, the oxygen. Yeah. 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 To not chew up the oxygen. So you just, I just controlled my breathing. Wow. So yeah. and, before getting in, before getting in the yeah. water, did you have like a come to Jesus moment? You're like, okay, this is. This is going down. We're, oh, well, I'm actually going to do this. Michael Muller, who, who led the expedition, um, is the lead photographer. Um, he, he brought me down and he, before we got in the cage, he just looked at me and he said, J just don't get mesmerized by one. And that was really my kind of, it clicked very quickly. Come to Jesus. It was just like, Oh, I get it. I can't just be like, whether it's I'm afraid or whether it's beautiful. I can't just look at it. I have to understand there's others around. Yeah. Which kept your awareness open. Did it keep you calmer knowing there was going to be more out there and you had to stay fluid? Did that help at all? No. Had there only been one and like they only said there was going to be one, then you just need to watch one. But the fact is, is you're off of a coast of an island out 200 miles off of Mexico that goes straight down. I mean, we're talking mm. like three or 400 feet deep, oh, like goodness. right where we were diving. Deep blue. And so you can't, you, you, yeah, you can't. I mean, we were at 40 feet. I would say, at, you couldn't see anything past 80 feet. You know, it was just, it was just an abyss. And then all of a sudden you see movement from there and it's coming up and you, you know, like these sharks can move so fast. I mean, so it, it's unbelievable in, 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 in a split second, they go from just cruise control to like Mach one. <laughs> and they, but they didn't do that when we were out of the cages 
They only were doing that when the bait was in the water or up top. And that's how, and look, like where do shark attacks happen? On the surface, mostly near coasts. Yeah. Not in the depths of water where something's swimming with them. And so they're just, they were literally the most curious creature you could have imagined just watching what we were doing. So they'd come up close and look and you'd see their eyes just looking at you and tracking you. And just like, it was a curiosity and you knew it was a curiosity. It wasn't a, you know, you, you can tell behaviorally what's going on with anybody. I mean, you, you have the ability to walk into it, you know, anywhere and know if somebody's energy's off and, you know, some dude's about to pop or, you know, somebody isn't having a good day or right. gonna be emo- like th- those are, we have that drive as well. They're probably curious. So like, who are these crazy dudes that are down here trying to swim with us? Do they know what yeah, we do? What, what is this thing in our world that there's no other creature around? <laughs> You know, the only other creature that's around are the sea lions, the three populations of sea lions that are out there that are trying to get out to sea and back to land, you know, and, <laughs> and, and missing they, the sharks. They feed on. Yes. When, when you said the baits in the water, you weren't talking about yourself, were you? No, 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 no. You, know, you guys the actually like chummed the water to get the sharks to come. You just throw big tuna chunks in, man, and those things. Like literally, when we pulled into that harbor, the sharks knew we were there. Oh and, my god! And literally, like you just see these cars underneath you, and then they toss tuna in after they drop cages, and the, instantaneously the sharks come around, and then boom, they'll take a dive at it. And literally, from probably you know forty, fifty yards out underwater, you know you'll see them, and all of a sudden they they're tracking, and then pop, and then boom, and they're on it. So getting back into the boat. What what was the overwhelming sense? Did you have a big takeaway from it? Yeah. yeah. I mean, the biggest takeaway I had was, you know, behave like prey, treated like prey. And like that's that. any situation you go into, like whether you're with your wife or friends or whatever, if you're if, like your behavior is going to dictate the situation at any point. And this is where I think a lot of people miss the boat on dealing with their you know, a lot of the trauma they've dealt with, like, look, we've all, we all deal with trauma, you know, and, and nobody's trauma is more special than anybody else's, you know, but the fact is, is we've got into this coddling bit where we we're trying to make it so nobody has to deal with trauma anymore. And that's bullshit. Like we need, people need to be dealing with the bullshit they haven't dealt with. And this is where a lot of this comes in is because a lot of people are ignoring that. And so they, they move on with life and they're just waiting for an opportunity to react to something or they are hiding from something and they're reactive or they, you know, they're just, they're dumping their emotions on people or they're trying to fulfill something through, you know, taking care of themselves, but not really understanding what taking care of themselves actually means. And this is where it gets down to the root, you know, the root of why I got into breath work is it changed everything. It changed how I moved. It changed how my, I responded physiologically and it changed how my brain started to work. And when I was willing to look at my behavior around all of that stuff, whether it was working out, whether it was um, my behavior with friends or people I didn't get along with or even social media, like these things, when I started to play with my breathing in these environments, I started to become more aware of the patterns that are associated with those things that don't necessarily have anything to do with those current situations, but are more so a part of experiences I've had when I was a kid or when I grew up that I never really understood or dealt with. 
that's where we're at with this and how this really works. And I think that's why animals um, and nature fascinates me and why I jumped at the opportunity to get a ticket or get certified for diving and get out of the cage with the great white is because I really want to understand what it's at, what it's like on that edge of life, because I think that's where life is being lived and it's not being lived where we're just not letting, where we're, we're trying to coddle everything and, and, you know, talk, we're, we're just going around the surface level shit. Um, you know, and, 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 and people are wounded, man, and it's obvious. And so when, you know, the majority of people have anxiety at this point, it's like, do they, do they really, or do they just not understand their own physiology? Yeah. Cause I, I keep hearing I, I, anxiety I, all the time too. I mean, yeah, it, it is now I, I, one of the I, most I, common it, words thrown around. Yeah. Yeah. We're, we're pretty convinced that, um, and you know, there's a lot, there's a few of us in this camp at this point, but we're pretty convinced that, um, you know, well, I, I don't want to say that psychology, like, look, I, I've worked with therapists my whole, a long time, like almost my whole life. And, and a lot of it in, in most recent, you know, decade, just to understand a lot of the stuff I'm connecting now so that I can talk about it in a way that I'm, that, that I understand it. But, you know, the mindset really is, 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 is psychology just misunderstood physiology. Yeah. And that, that totally makes sense. It's like the magic elixir. It's like people don't know what's happening physiologically. So they're like, Oh, it's just stress. It's anxiety. I don't know what it is because they don't yeah. understand how the body works. So I used yeah. to have a, I used to have a massive fear of public speaking. I know a lot of people out there also yep. share the same. It's one of the largest, if not yep. the largest, and people need it for their jobs. They need it for life. They need it to interact. Is there anything we can do to help manage this fear? I mean, thankfully, I got over it. Now I'm in this business, been on the radio for years. So I got over it, but I leaned into that fear because I knew it was something that I had to break through. I had to, oh, I had to, I had you, to get you, after it. You leaned into stress, the name of the event I'm doing in, in two weeks. That's um, right. That, that, it's, it's it, man. That's it. What are you afraid of? What is stressing you out? What is consuming you? Go look at that head on. That doesn't mean you need to go speak in front. Like if you've got to, like I had, a, I was terrified to speak in front of people and I was terrible at it. And I'm, and I'm still not, I mean, by any means, fantastic at it, but I'm a lot better at it. And I don't actually have a fear of it anymore because I leaned into it. I got an opportunity to go talk in front of people. I started doing it. I got an opportunity to go get out of a cage with a great white shark. I did it. Like I was afraid of that. There, I think that th in actuality, we should be looking at much more basic things than that. Think about this. Think about the conversations you don't want to have about boundaries that you did not set. Those are the things we need to lean into. Those are the things. And so let's just take you and your wife and I'm just playing a game. Sure. This isn't yeah. real, right? Let's say you and your wife are terrible at setting boundaries with each other. So that therefore you become highly codependent on each other and each other's moods and how things work, right? Like leaning into that says this, the next time you get into an argument over something that starts to trigger these things because you failed to actually discuss your boundaries or set limits on those boundaries. So you just let your partner cross those boundaries. Then you let that boil up and it became an argument. Listen 
to your partner by just shutting your mouth and letting your nose do the breathing and just instinctively listen to your partner without your opinion so that you can hear where they're coming from and what they saw. Then go back and think about how you didn't actually set up boundaries in order to set that situation up and that you reacting in the way that you did to your partner was nothing more than a byproduct of you not setting boundaries and letting somebody cross it and then not addressing that because you never said it and you were too embarrassed to do that. Right. That's powerful. This is where the dynamic of all of this stuff really starts to play out and people don't understand it. Like they think that they can just skate through life, nasal breathing and no, that's not what a breath practice is. Breath practice is when I'm in these little micro moments that I don't think are important, but are actually the most important things that are developing my, my character and who I am. This is plasticity. This is what plasticity is. And so plasticity is, or it, it is whether I, learn to respond and change my behavior in that situation or whether I don't and I continue to exacerbate it. I love it. So I love it. Yeah. If I don't, if I'm Nick and I react to my wife in a poor way all the time based on not understanding or her cross or me crossing her crossing boundaries that I never actually addressed, then that opportunity is yours not hers because are you responsible in any way, shape or form for her behavior? No. Right. So you're, you're the only behavior you can change. And so this is where empathy actually begins and you start to be able to listen to people and hear them for what they're saying. And really ultimately, who are we listening to? We're, We're literally listening to our own biased opinion on how I have anxiety or I'm triggered or I've got this thing going on that nobody's hearing me on. And this is my problem is I felt unheard. Oh, weird. Everybody's dealing with that. Like that's a, that is an innate thing for survival. People want to feel loved. They need to feel heard. This is just a very deep layered thing as a, as a child you'll develop. And if you don't actually deal with that, becoming an adult, this is what becomes the byproduct. And so all of my training and everything I do becomes nothing more than a, a something that revolves around who I am underneath that hood. You're training yourself constantly for some unknown situation that may or may not come up, but most likely it's going to come up that physiologically you're doing all this training you're training in the gym, you're training on the trails, you're training with your breath work for real life, not just training for training's sake, but for actual meaningful conversations with your wife, with your friends, with your bosses, your coworkers, all of that. I mean, this is essentially, I, I love what I'm hearing because you are giving people what they think they want, but then really you're giving them what they need. That, that, that's it. That's it. All I'm doing is, is the, the need. Um, and, and unfortunately, you know, I mean, well, fortunately for me, a lot of the followers that like I've cultivated a very interesting, um, group of people that follow me, but it's been because of the work that I've done and I've been pretty transparent about it and authentic about it. And that's very different from taking selfies in front of mirrors and, you know, uh, like, like, like superficial shit, right. Um, that's surface layer. 
that wasn't the crowd I wanted to develop. I didn't want to develop some big ass following based on this. I'd prefer to have a smaller following with people who actually are engaged in and helping me direct where we're going, like how this actually gets communicated because there, I mean, I can tell you right now, man, there's a lot of people who I deal with who they literally just won't even do it. Like they won't make any of the changes because they think they need to do more. And you know, they're, they're like, Oh, sleep. I, I need to work on my sleep. I need to work on this with my sleep and talk to sleep experts and this and that. I'm like, you know what a sleep expert does? They literally study the data about sleep. Sleep is about the 16 hours you're not in, in bed. That's what sleep is, is how you actually manage the 16 hours you're not in bed in what you're doing. And if you've got shitty sleep, it's because you manage shitty 16 hours choice is yours how you want to go what you want to do wow isn't that that's the truth yep all right so before i let you go i got to get your current training program what's that like (laughs) (laughs) what what are you into now uh yeah i mean uh my day starts with breath work um and whether that's I'm that 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 varies highly depending on where I'm at, what I'm doing, and what I'm trying to do. Whether I'm doing hypoxic stuff, trying to train at low altitude, or I'm trying to do high CO2 tolerance building, or I'm just trying to do some meditation, like deep meditation. Although the meditation aspect falls into it either way, I go. Um, on the med- then, on the meditation, how long are we talking about deep meditation? And we every, anywhere, every it, day. It, it, yeah, usually anywhere from five, it could be five minutes to it could be upwards of an hour. And do you use so, any tools for that or have you been just instructed and now you kind of know what no, you're doing and you're on your path? I, no, no, I don't know. I, I, I mean, I, I've played around with a bunch of different stuff and it's all the same thing to me. Um, other than using whether I use my app, because I'll typically use my app sometimes before I do any hardcore breathing protocols just to understand where I'm at. And that's the um, state app. Yeah, the state app. Okay. And um, so I go and I just free flow into it and let my mind go. Um, it, it, med- I, I don't feel like meditation should be some restrictive thing. Um, nor do, you know, I mean, somebody asked me the other day, like, do I set, 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 set aside time, a specific time to write? Because the stuff that I put out, I actually, you know, I obviously write. Um, and and I, I do not. Um, I don't believe writing works like that. I think that's just forcing something that is lacking creativity versus like coming to something and then just being like, oh, I got an idea. I'm going to do this. Like I let the meditation come to me and let let those things happen. I then will go in and usually uh, I'm doing some writing after the meditation or I'm going and I'm doing some training, whether I go to jujitsu that day or whether I'm going into the gym to do some strength and conditioning work or whether I'm going out on my bike or um, I'm walking my dogs. Um, I also do heat and ice work, but I do it in a manner that's actually under uh, an understanding of how I'm reacting physiologically. Like, so I'm using my breathing patterns and visual system in order to control responses and and be able to feel the changes that are happening and increasing or decreasing things based on those things. Um, uh, what else? Um, I mean, other than work, that's, you know, and then walking my dogs, man, that's, (laughs) that's it. I, I get outside a lot. Good. And you just obviously live a really active lifestyle. 
I mean, yes. it's always on the move, always physical, and yes. the physicality definitely helps the brain out, helps deal with the anxiety, all of it. Yep, yep. And I follow the sun, so that means I literally am up right before the sun's up, typically, and I'm asleep right after it goes down. So you're in bed pretty early, even in the wintertime in California? Uh, I, right around eight o'clock. Okay. I was going to, cause in California, that drives me wild when we do the fallback time and it's like four forty-five, and a lot we're, of people are getting, what are we doing? Yeah, we're getting close. I think we're getting close to actually getting rid of that. Oh, I think good. it was voted. Yeah. God, it doesn't make any getting, sense. Yeah. And, and in fact, I'm almost positive it's going to be on the ballot here soon. Oh, good. Yeah, it seems yeah. like we go the wrong direction. Like in the summertime, we have sunlight till nine, and then in yep. the wintertime, we have sunlight till four forty-five. Yeah, the, the the time shouldn't change whatsoever. That's a, a irrelevant thing, actually. Yeah, <laughs> it really is. What <laughs> Brian? What's your diet like? Uh, a lot of um, fruit, vegetables, um, and then I eat meat. Um, from a, whether somebody's hunted and killed it themselves, or it was done in a very humanely or in and or sustainable process. So I, I, I actually just stopped in the last probably few months. Um, I won't eat meat outside of somebody doing it out of a very, uh, out of a, um, humane way. I'm, I'm just not participating in, the cultivation of animal product um, stressed to the degree that I've been able to. I was just out at, uh, I work with a company called Belcampo, who's what, arguably the largest sustainable farming practice. And they're, they're like a negative carbon farm because of how they actually work with the animals. Um, and there were animals in the slaughterhouse that had just been slaughtered that were of their process and of a local farmer's process and the differences in the meat and what you see is unbelievable and that is energy and that energy goes into me and i'm just not cool with it so i eat a very kind of mediterranean-ish diet that is pretty high and very very high quality meat and that company again was called del campo Bell Campo, B-E-L-C-A-M-P-P-O. Gotcha. And you can actually order their meat online. Um, they, they're, they're, what they are doing is unbelievable. Anya Farnald, who is the CEO, is a woman on a friggin' mission. And the FDA and USDA would prefer she did not exist. And that is because of all the bureaucratic BS that exists with inside our food system. And, uh, you know, she, what she's doing for farming could be one of the most revolutionary things that's ever happened. Has she run into a bunch of trouble already? Oh, oh yeah. With the government? Oh, oh, oh yeah. They're, they've, they've tried to, you know, shut things down, do things at times. And, you know, she's just now I'm going to, I'm going to pull this off. Good she's for basically her. got what, what, you know, you know, I live up in NorCal and I'm, I'm pretty close to pretty local farms up here. Like there's a lot of lots of local farms. She's basically a large version of what your local farmer would do with produce and meat, right? They raise grass fed animals, animals that are pastured. They don't grain feed them. They feed them off the land. It's all, you know, they, they raise them over a few years. It's not this fast process. 
Um, and the animals actually cultivate the land that allow for the produce to actually grow. And it's, it's an incredible process. And um, the way that they actually slaughter the animals too is very humane. It's so fast and it's so different and the animal is not stressed when they do it. Um, and it's, uh, it's an important thing because that is not what's going on with the food you're getting. Yeah. It's a much more natural process. What, yep. what supplements do you take, if any? Uh, I do magnesium just cause I have a low, um, I'm, I'm low on magnesium. I have a genetic predisposition to it. So I just supplement that. Um, I do DHA, but I do that through fish eggs. So, I mean, that's not necessarily a supplement. <laughs> awesome. Um, you know, uh, where do you get those? Do you know who you get those from? Vital choice, wild seafood. That's it. Cool. Yep. Excellent. And, um, yeah, go ahead. Anything else? I, I, I yeah. Vitamin D I'll either, I either am supplementing a little bit of vitamin D or if there's no sun out, like when winter hits here, like when, like our fall, when fall ends, it'll start to get really cloudy here and rainy. Um, I will actually do tanning beds because of the vitamin D stuff. No kidding. Yeah. I don't do them like, like I'll, I'll, I'll do it once a week. And if you have not done that and you're under a lot of cloud coverage or gloomy skies for, for long periods of time, you will instantly notice and feel a difference coming out of there. So and I'm not suggesting you go in and burn yourself. You start off in a process that's very, you know, um, <laughs> that, 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 that allows you to progress effectively. Like the first time I went, it was four minutes. Then it was like six, then it was eight then it was 10. And now I, now I hover around 14 minutes, but I don't get burned. I just get enough sun, enough, enough exposure to the lights to where I'm getting that vitamin D production. And it's interesting because they used to be in vogue way back in the day, like eighties, early nineties. And then you find they're starting to come back. Are people starting to use them more? Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think a lot of people are realizing that, uh, that this vitamin D thing is actually pretty important because we do spend way too much time inside and that vitamin D is critical in every process going on in the body. And lastly, what's new out there in the human performance world that has you really excited? Uh, I think re really for me, it's just the connection of energy into the brain and understanding that, you know, I mean, we, we understand energy kind of with metab metabolically, um, but really the, the stuff we're, we're into and chasing right now is really like, Hey, cognitive load and what's going on there. And, that's still energy and me moving energy. And, you know, I, I, it really comes down to energy, um, which is why the breathing is so fundamental because breathing controls all energy in the body without oxygen. You uh, aren't using the energy. So not for very long, <laughs> Brian, that was awesome and fascinating. And I have to say, when you were talking about the sharks, I was really struggling to breathe through my nose there. <laughs> <laughs> so thank you very much. That, that was awesome. I appreciate you. Got it. Man, that was awesome. I don't know about you, but after the interview and having listened back to it multiple times to draw out these nuggets, I feel so empowered. I could run through a wall, seriously, like before a football game, Marty Schottenheimer breathing down your neck. That's how I feel. First off, I'm sure you started breathing in and out of your nose while you're listening to that podcast. As we were recording, I was doing my best to stay breathing through that nose. And can can we talk about 
can we talk about this? That shark experience? WTF, dude. Would you? Could you? I don't know if I could get in that water. I love the takeaway that he had from that moment, though. Behave like prey. Get treated like prey. That is so good. I, you know he wasn't just talking about swimming with sharks, right? Our presence when we enter a room or a situation can and it usually will dictate our outcome in that particular scenario. Body language, being able to control our thoughts and our emotions oftentimes dictates success or failure on the other end. You know what the face of defeat looks like. You know the posture associated with that. Shoulders slumped down, eyes and gaze withdrawn, not determined. The minute adversity hits, that person just bails. We've all been there before. I've been that person before too. I talk about it in this episode. I used to be scared as hell to speak publicly, like tunnel vision, cotton mouth, weak at the knees. I almost passed out. I was so scared. And then I fought back. I realized that the fear was the same as I faced before every single football game or wrestling match that I ever had. It was the fear of the unknown. But you know what? Like Brian said in this episode, lean into that fear. A couple of other great moments. Brian said, quote, stress isn't going anywhere. By and large, we don't have more stressful lives. Nobody does. People are just doing more S. They are doing a bunch of different or more of a lot of stuff all day. They aren't actually stressing themselves out. The stress is coming from an internal problem, meaning I don't understand the physiology of what's going on. As he went on to say, we have two ways of actually controlling our autonomic arousal through breathing or visual system. Visually, he said, who freaks out looking at a sunset? And that's true. There's a reason for that. And he says it's a mathematical equation that your brain understands. That's the truth. Thankfully, I have a wife who loves to go watch the sunset. and We live right by the Pacific Ocean. So that view is unabated. But even if you don't, simply being outside can put the brain at ease. Also, he said, we know that controlled breathing calms the brain. Slowing down and controlling your breathing until you find yourself calming down. We have to become conscious of our breathing. It's funny, this whole breathing thing. When we get scared, we breathe with our mouths open so our bodies prepare for a heightened physical experience. But our system can run that algorithm in reverse, too. If we breathe with our mouths open, we can initiate our stress response, which in turn makes us feel more stress. It's a really vicious cycle, which is why it makes it really important to get a handle on the anti-stress pathways. Further on stress, Brian said, it's understanding these paths that if you had a bad day at work doesn't mean you can't handle stress. It's how much I didn't transition during the process of that day, meaning this. Give yourself moments in your day to unwind so you can reset. If you haven't tried the Yoga Nidra that Andrew Huberman recommends, I highly recommend it. Listen to that podcast if you haven't or Google 10-minute or 30-minute Yoga Nidra. That's N-I-D-R-A videos. You can get those on YouTube. It's been a game changer for me. What a great break from the day just to reset and to learn. Like Andrew Huberman said a couple of weeks ago, it's learning to become deeply relaxed. Also, as Brian recommends, use the moments you get when you get into your car, you're going to the restroom, you're eating a meal. These are all moments of transition, and those moments, if we're being conscious as we're doing them, we can come down 
from more intense situations in a very natural manner so we don't have to feel so stressed and we can continue to perform. We have to learn physiologically how to deal with that stress so it doesn't turn into anxiety. Breathing and visual cueing, those are the ways. And if you remember too, Huberman, he talked about getting panoramic vision with our eyes, a soft gaze as they will say in meditation. It's an amazing tool. It, it's a great trick for the brain. Do that wherever you are. Panoramic vision, it's really sneaky, super covert, and nobody knows that you're trying to calm yourself down. It works almost instantaneous. Okay, one more. Lastly, the eye-opener for me as it relates to physical form was that nose breathing triggers the oxygen-burning pathway in our body, which pulls from our body fat for energy. So this has a chance to help us attain the body composition that we're all looking for. By doing the mouth breathing thing, we're depleting our body of the muscle glycogen, which is basically the sugar supply in our body that our brains and our nervous systems need to, like Brian said, make good decisions and have creativity. And if doing it while sleeping, well, we're just not recovering. We're actually stressing ourselves out while we're sleeping. And it has a potential to lead to sleep apnea, and everybody knows that is not a good thing. So very detrimental to our long-term health. Stay away from the mouth breathing. I've even seen people recently using like 3M tape over their mouth at night. It forces them to breathe through their nose until they are completely trained. Like Brian, after four weeks, Brian says when he breathes through his mouth at night, it's a stress response, and he wakes up. So I guess we got all got to get to that level. One more time because it's powerful. Behave like prey, get treated like prey, and as he would say, live unscared. I sure hope you enjoyed this one, guys. Please share with your mouth-breathing friends or anyone who you think could go for some more stress management techniques. Until next time, here's to your health. This podcast represents the opinions of Nick Hardwick and his guests to the show. The content here should not be taken as medical advice. The content here is for informational purposes only. And because each person is so unique, please consult your healthcare professional for any medical questions.